0: on yeah, the
1: cloud ain't coming back now. Listen up Bobcats, cause it's time for Overtime Radio, the place for high-energy sports takes and debate. Here's your host, Tom Krasnowski and Jordan Wolf.
0: Cloudy, coming back down.
1: Hello, and welcome into Overtime Radio. Thank you for joining us here on this Sunday, March 14th. Happy Pi Day. Some things came about this week, but we're here today for Overtime. Tom Krasnowski alongside Jordan Wolf. Uh, firstly, Jordan, how was your experience in Atlantic City covering the MAC tournament?
0: Oh, I mean, it was unbelievable. First of all, I will said this great, but we were the first student group to be able to actually go to a live arena within the first time in a year and actually see a tournament and see sports being played. So to, for me to be in my final semester here and to be to go to my home state, which I truly love and all of our home state, by the way, in New Jersey, and cover the Mac tournament was just an unbelievable experience. I could talk about this for hours, but all the things I saw and seeing Rick Bettino live and um, you know, me and hating Dylan von for no reason, but that again, I'll leave that for a different day. And I know we have other things that we got to talk about. So, but unbelievable experience.
1: We have other things to talk about and other people to talk to. We have a special guest host today. It's a crossover spot, four years in the making. We're pleased to welcome our good friend, Jonathan Banks, to the show this week. Jonathan, how are we?
2: Yeah, I'm doing well. You know, it's, it's been four years, you know, seeing the the overtime radio brand grow. And, you know, I've been waiting for my shot. Finally, I was fourth on the depth chart, got the call up. And I'm just trying to provide a little spark here, you know. It's, it, there's something to be said about being a bottom six guy and providing value to the team. That's what I'm just trying to do here uh, for the next 60 minutes
1: you're not bottom six Jonathan you don't don't discount yourself thank you
2: I'm I'm just happy to be here I just got a shot in the big leagues I'm ready to get going
0: well um I I guess that's what we are but we saw a record-setting contract this week Jonathan about a player you and Tom have debated many times about his worth Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott is staying in Dallas signing a four-year contract worth 160 million dollars Dak will also earn $75 million in year one of the deal in salary, but he will carry a more manageable cap hit. Jonathan, the first question goes to you, our awesome guest. Did Dak deserve such a rich contract? Well, first
2: of all, I just want to say in general for Dak Prescott, I'm I'm happy for him, the human, you know, being put on the franchise tag getting that injury, and then all of a sudden Dallas comes back around and gives him uh, money, what he believed he was worth, and that was Patrick Mahomes-esque money in the the, the AAV. So I, I am happy for him, the person. I don't think Dak Prescott is worth this amount of money. Um, Dak Prescott's a really good quarterback. He's a borderline top-10 quarterback, so you could argue – that, yes, this is what quarterbacks cost these days. Um, I wouldn't put him there. I don't think he's good enough, though, to be demanding one hundred and six million dollars over four years with a no trade clause and a no tag provision. He's a good quarterback. He's shown that he can find ways to win Um, in big moments, but he's a product of his own system. He's someone that can play very well when the pieces uh, around him are productive. And you even saw it this year with Dak Prescott. He was lighting the league up in terms of passing yards but the Cowboys are one and three. And I'm not saying that wins and losses are a quarterback stat, but but to me, Dak Prescott is someone who needs everything perfect to to be around him for him to be productive. Um, And and if Dallas starts to suffer some injuries or Ezekiel Elliott never returns to form, I I just don't think Dak is going to be able to overcome that um, with the ability. Will they they win the NFC East? You know, probably at this point, but that's not saying much right now. Um, I wouldn't pay Dak Prescott this amount of money. Um, I do think he was worthy a four-year contract. I'm thinking too, um, I would probably have paid in the 120, 130 million range. Um, but then again, it's not my money. So uh, I would say that he doesn't necessarily deserve a contract this big, but he's a good quarterback. He deserved an extension. He is the the, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback and he deserved to be paid as such. Um, but I, this is a lot of money for, for a player. And it's not just about Dak too. When you think about Dallas top five uh, positions, um, they are paying, um, they are paying the guys, uh, I'm not saying it correctly, but basically they have they are, they have paid five players in the top five of their positions. There we go. And all five of those players are not at the top five in their position. This is another example about that. You need a football team to win around him, but in terms of Dak, I don't know if I would have paid him that much money, but he's a good quarterback.
1: Jonathan, I'm very disappointed in you. Um, and you also got the luxury of a soapbox here for your first discussion. I don't think you're going to get that soapbox as the rest of the show goes on, but you know, I'll get, I'll let you, I'll let you just, you know, say what you want about Dak because I'm very disappointed in you. First of all, I think it's flat out wrong to say the man doesn't win ball games because he's got 42 victories in his 69 starts. That is one of the top 10, I believe, top five. I have to fact check it. I know it is among the top 10. I think it's top five win percentages over that time. His numbers have been statistically great and they're trending in the right direction. The last two years of Prescott, you talk 2019 full season and you talk 2020 the season he got abbreviated with injury and the pace he was off to on that early going of that 6,000 plus yards, 39 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. He was absolutely hitting his peak and the guy was, he was a pro bowler. He was a dominant and I don't, I can't believe that you would say he's only a top 10 borderline quarterback I, I, you know I like to keep my it's list. It's not about him,
2: it's a product you know, of who else is good.
1: You know, I like to keep that doesn't matter. You don't discount guys for having We're talent just guys around them. Better. We, we don't discount guys, guys for having talent around them. He has it, he knows what to do with it. The only quarterbacks I can think of that I would actively take over Dak Prescott without a doubt, right? Mahomes, Rodgers, Wilson, throw into Sean Watson, of course. Like those, those are the consensus elite quarterbacks, right? I can't, I don't think I can definitively say I would take anyone else over Dak Prescott in a snap. I think he's the fifth best quarterback in the league. And he's certainly in that Allen Jackson class. Uh, Kyler Murray he has been more successful than Murray. That's for sure. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, Dak is absolutely top 10. He's, it's, he's probably borderline top five. The numbers are terrific. He was leading the league just about everything this year before his injury. He did it the year before he's won ball games, and yeah, you know what, just because he has talent around him, that does not mean we discount the achievements of this guy. He's elite. He treasures the football. He doesn't turn it over very much. Uh, he can. He's not an active runner, but he knows how to use his legs to get some first downs when he has to. Uh, we'll see if that happens after the injury, though. That can do it all. There are not. There are very few quarterbacks that have been this consistent over the last five years. Uh, statistically, he's one of the elites, and uh, this is what you pay elite quarterbacks. They get forty million dollars a year. Um, the elites of the league this year. Uh, you know, this, this day and age. And uh, as far as paying that money for Elliot and Cooper and Lawrence, they do have a lot of their cap tied up to those top five guys. But that's who you win and lose ballgames with. That, that's what the Cowboys, you got to go in with those guys. Uh, I love the contract. He totally deserved it. He totally earned it. And uh, Jordan, it's been a while since we heard you talk because me and Banks could talk about this for hours. So why don't you give a quick weigh in on this before we wrap up?
0: Okay, I think the money is a little bit crazy. I think that Dak is a really good quarterback, but I don't think he's a $40 million quarterback. I personally think when you talk about the elites, Silly. here's who I here's who I think about elites. Silly. I think about Brady, I think about Mahomes, I think about Rodgers, I think about Watson, I think about Wilson. And honestly, I think Josh Allen could honestly be there by next year if he continues to play the way he does. Are you
1: aware that Dak's numbers are in that Dak, class?
0: Dak is top t- well, two tier, okay? And
2: numbers are subjective. I'll let Jordan finish this too, but numbers are subjective. There are four quarterbacks in the NFL over the last two years that have more turnovers than touchdowns against playoff teams. You know who's in that? Besides Dak Prescott, Miss Trubisky, Jameis Winston, and Baker Mayfield. That's another thing too. And, And Dak Prescott's last full season, what was his record against playoff teams, Tom?
1: Dak Prescott's record against it was one in eight. Teams had far more to do with Jason eight. Garrett's inability to coach. He put them in every position possible to win the ball game, except maybe I remember that Jets game. The Jets game was a bad look for him, but like, he can't have one bad game?
2: He can, but if you're the fifth best quarterback in football, you should overcome quote-unquote bad coaching or keep people not putting in the best position to win. Go ahead, Jordan. Uh, keep okay. supporting my side of this.
1: No, because I, I, you're you're wrong. If you are, you they got the guy who's forty two and twenty seven in his career. Nobody else has has that's top five in win percentage in the league over. My that time.
0: issue for the Cowboys is that after his horrific, uh, unfortunate injury that he got, is that you're trying to bank on him being that same exact player. That's the issue with that I have with it. With that amount, it's going to be
1: a pretty routine recovery, according to the doctors. This is not a career-ending injury. It's a season-ending injury.
0: Pretty, I mean, it's still pretty significant. It is, but
1: you've seen plenty of guys come back from ACL tears. This is an ankle,
0: but you've seen plenty of guys come back from these things and being exactly okay. It's common. There's something about it where I just kind of hesitate a little bit. And it's like, I don't know if he's a $40 million quarterback, but, but I will agree with you that he is a really good quarterback. And the season he was having before he got hurt was probably an MVP caliber season for sure. So. And if you're not
1: going to pay an MVP caliber man $40 million, then who are you going to pay $40 million? That In a league where you have to to keep the talent. Someone else is going to do it.
2: Yeah, and I mean, Dak Prescott was 0-5 against top defenses. Someone else is going to have to do it. His QBR was 55.3 against top 10 defenses in 2019. Um, when it comes down to it, I am super happy that, like, for Dak as a person, that he got paid, especially everything he went through with that injury. If I'm Dallas, though, I was actually surprised that they didn't just tag him again. I guess there was more the the public backlash, because I'm not a fan of the franchise tag. I'm glad he got paid because he deserved to get paid Um, this much. No, but from Dallas's perspective too, just curious why they decided to pay him now. They could have just tagged him for another year.
1: Listen, Dak Prescott leads the league this season. He was among the league leaders the last two seasons across the board. You can't tell me that's not worth top five money, but I can tell you somebody who is certainly not worth top five money, certainly not worth top 20 money uh, for for my uh, state of things. And that's going to be one Cam Newton who re-signed with the New England Patriots. Rather surprisingly, the contract can be worth up to $14 million. That's based on bonuses. I'm sure it'll be worth much less um, because that's what it's worth up to. It's good for their cap hit. And the interesting thing about this deal was they did say reports were that this will not preclude uh, Bill Belichick from making a move for a quarterback, either young or veteran. It's kind of just so they have a stopgap at QB in case nothing else happens. But to me, Jordan, I had a hard time making sense of this one, because even if you are going to go the stopgap route, I feel like Cam Newton, the way he struggled so mightily for them last year eight passing touchdowns the entire season, uh, very little impact when he's not running the ball and actively losing them games against the Bills, for instance, you remember that one. You know, I, I don't see that being as, as the stopgap you'd like. They do need a stopgap before their big time move, but I don't see bringing Newton back, particularly for a reasonable amount of money. I don't see that as, as a, a good answer. That was very confusing for me. What was your take?
0: Uh, this definitely made me uh, raise an eyebrow for sure. I remember talking to uh, in the Atlantic City to Eric about this. He was trying to talk me into it. Now that I'm thinking about it, the, the more I think about it, the less sense it makes. Um, I just feel like Cam Newton made that offense as a whole worse. And I, I wish I didn't have to say that because back in 2015, we all know how good he was for the Panthers. But obviously this version of Cam Newton is just so beaten down. And he's just not the same player, and he just cannot throw the ball accurately. And I felt like if you're the Patriots, why not go with a guy that's so familiar with your system if he was available in Jimmy Garoppolo? And I'm just a little confused of what Bill Belichick is looking for in this draft. Like, there's a lot of QB talent to be had in this draft. I'm just a little surprised that he would still want to kind of chug out one more year with Cam Newton as their QB because maybe he doesn't like anyone that he sees. But for me, it just, I, I don't, I don't really see the benefit of it like we already saw what he did last year and i don't see a significant improvement to that so yeah
1: listen cam newton's washed uh he's been disinterested for years and he's been injury prone on and off the you know on the field he's been disinterested off the field he is not a leader anymore the guy never looks like he's interested on the field we've been saying this before the big injury a couple of years ago when he missed the season and he didn't look any kind of rejuvenated for new new england since that super bowl appearance which he had a direct hand in losing by not falling on the football and choosing to preserve his, his, uh, his status over winning the ball game. He's below 500 by a game, barely completing 60% of his passes. And part of that's because his air yards per attempt have cratered over the years. So he, that's a high completion percentage. And it's still only barely 60% Um, only eight passing touchdowns the last two years over 17 games Uh, interception rate went through the roof this year. The guy is not the same anymore. He's a, he's, a, he's a good runner. He's a good rusher with the ball. Um, saw that against Seattle earlier in the season. Uh, but that alone, that's a gadget player. That's not a starting quarterback. That's not a $14 million a year guy. And like you said, Jordan, we already saw, I think, what Newton can provide. Because he was there for the full season. It's not like we could blame injury or, oh, we didn't get a good look at him. They got a good look at him. And it was brutal. Uh, he was benched. He was benched for Stidham. He was benched for Hoyer, both in-game and then uh, going into the next weeks. I can't imagine why they'd want this guy back. It's baffling to me. Jonathan, what was your uh, your read on that?
2: Yeah, besides the fact of you calling Cam Newton a gadget player, because I'm not sure what else he does, so I don't really agree with that wording, but I agree with everything you said about Cam Newton, and this was before his skill and his positional ability started to crater off a little bit, but... I was out on him. Like you mentioned it the second he didn't dive on that fumble in the Super Bowl. I was kind of out on Cam Newton. That didn't seem to be someone who was going to do whatever it takes to win. But yeah, this year, I think you guys both hit the nail on the head. He's someone that I don't really see much value in bringing back. Yes, I understand the argument. Shortened season, COVID protocols, didn't have a lot of weapons. But down the stretch, like and you mentioned specific games, just wasn't a very good quarterback. And when it comes down to it. Bill Belichick wants to get him on the move and have him hit his targets on the run, have him hit him in the pocket. He's just someone that wasn't able to do that. And I just think that when you, if you're looking for a placeholder, there were better options out there for more team friendly contracts. And I'm surprised with Cam Newton, if I were him, I would have wanted to go somewhere else, maybe a team like Denver or maybe Cincinnati. If Joe Burrow is not going to be back the first few weeks to get a chance to play, maybe Houston, if Deshaun Watson is gone Um, that all depends. But when it, I just think that, you guys hit the nail on the head there with Cam Newton. He's he's not he's not a starting level quarterback. 14 million for one year is a lot of money for him, um, and I just don't think the production is going to is going to equal that that value you're paying him.
1: One thing that was good about that deal, up to 14 million dollars, the cap hit will not be 14 million dollars. Um, that's that's including bonuses, uh, and that's good because it's worth talking about the NFL salary cap is going down is the first time that's ever happened. And they've had flat caps before or rumors of flat caps. So now with the pandemic causing some revenue loss, the salary cap is going down and teams don't plan on this. And I know you, you, me, and you talked about this a little bit last week, Jordan, but you're seeing this. I want to bring it up again. Cause you're seeing the effects of this. You're seeing what I mentioned last week. This is going to impact teams contention windows in a very negative way. Because when you get a guy like Patrick Mahomes, so talk about what happened in Kansas City this week. They paid him rightfully 40 plus million dollars, and they just had to cut his two bookend tackles because the yep. salary cap is going down, and you can't cut Mahomes. That would be blasphemous. So you got to cut somebody to get under the cap. And now, Mahomes, you already talked about the offensive line being the weakest part of the team. You saw it in the Super Bowl. Now he's missing his two starting tackles. They're not going to have that much money to go out and get replacements. This is going to change their window. This is going to change. The Steelers' window is flat-out shut, as we discussed last week, because of the Roethlisberger uh, drama. Uh, Seahawks, we talked about as a team that could be in cap trouble. Uh, Maybe that could force them to want to move on Wilson. So, Jonathan, I want your take on this, too, because your team with the Eagles, um, I don't think they have the best cap situation. A lot of money tied up to older players. Uh, This salary cap declining, I think the key for this is you're going to see smart teams that know how to manage their money Thrive, and you could see teams that are on the tippy top and look like they had years of contention suffer from this, and it could really turn the NFL on its axis, I think.
2: Yeah, and that's something we're seeing too. You know, the last week or so, we've been seeing a lot of reports from Adam Schefter, from NFL insiders, about players restructuring salaries, restructuring their bonuses, uh, their contracts, they're turning into signing bonuses um, from stuff against the cap. So, you're seeing that maneuver a lot, which makes sense for teams. The players don't really care, they're getting their money. Um, but but that's happening a lot. And you look at a team like the Eagles, for example, that they were projected to be a ton of money over the cap, the restructuring deals. And now a team like that specifically, they sold it all out to, to win the Super Bowl. And it was worth it because they did win. But now you have a lot of old players on a lot of expensive contracts that you necessarily can't trade without major cap hits. You already have you are already paying Carson Wentz an incredible amount of money to not play for your football team next year. So it's really going to come down to that with Howie Roseman. The only thing I trust him to do at this point is manage the salary cap. That is his bread and butter. He came up as a financial analyst for NFL teams, for the Eagles specifically. He can manage the cap well. But, yeah, it's going to change a lot of contention windows because there are teams – you look at, like, for example, the Indianapolis Colts were in a great cap situation with a lot of money to spend. They felt they were a quarterback away. They felt Carson Wentz could be that quarterback. So they were okay taking on that money, which isn't a bad contract. Four years, $132 million, I think it was, if you believe Wentz is your guy.
1: Okay, then. If you think but, that Prescott 4-160 is bad and you think Wentz 4-130 is reasonable, we have to have a discussion on that, if that's what you well, think.
2: It before before last, but went into Wentz. before Wentz has last never year.
1: touched Prescott's numbers except one 13 except, game season. Except
2: what Carson Wentz being the MVP of the league, um, aside from an ACL he was not the MVP won. of the
1: league, he was on because the he's, track he's, for it. ACL. He couldn't have finished the
2: season, he would have won the MVP, we he would have, him. but he didn't. So don't talk like
1: he for was. Him. And it's been many for years, years, when years when since he was at that. When time. the come on now, bad take alert.
2: When I am alert, what I am saying is when the Eagles like signed Carson Wentz to that extension. It felt like a really good value deal because of the, the way Cowboys blue. signed
1: Dak Prescott to that extension. It seemed like a really good value deal because he's playing at his respective prime.
2: It doesn't feel like that to me. Regardless, the, the point here with the salary cap, teams that are manage their salary cap, well, like the Colts, they believe they can turn Carson Wentz back into what he was. That's fine. But they have the money and they have the ability to take that on. And you're seeing teams like, for example, the New Orleans Saints who have been in that contention window forever. They have no cap space. They, they don't have the liberty to take on a veteran quarterback or the liberty to take on impact players and bring them into the fold right now because of their salary cap situation. Um, I do believe a little bit the salary cap is a facade in football. If there's a guy you want on your team, you can find a way to get them in through restructuring and things of that nature. But, yes, it is going to change the contention window. And that's when you look at teams like the Colts. You look at a team like the Bills, for example. They don't have a lot of money. They just re-signed Matt Milano that's going to impact what they can do. People have talked about them paying a little a bit of a premium to fix that running break game, to bring in someone like Chris Carson, to bring in someone like James Connor, what, what have you, whatever your opinions on those players are, it, it's going to change. Um, it's going to change how these teams manage the salary cap as everything has during the pandemic. But when it comes down to it, uh, the impact of a declining salary cap is much bigger than, than people are really thinking about.
1: And Jordan, we know Kansas city, right? just to get back to the start of this conversation We know as long as they have Mahomes, they're going to be a serious contender. But now, just because they paid him the money that he was rightfully worth, and with a declining salary cap, this could change things for them. They're not as strong on paper now just because of money stuff. I don't know who's going to be his bookend tackles this year.
0: Well, the problem is, remember the Super Bowl when they weren't there and Mm -hmm. they played so badly offensively? That was a big reason why. And now not having Mitchell Schwartz, and I forget the – and Eric Fisher, the other one that they cut, a former number one overall pick – I'm a little concerned to see how Mahomes are going to be protected this year because that was a huge issue um, in the Super Bowl. And the Chiefs, I've said it all season long, have been a team that hasn't had a lot of weaknesses. And now we finally found out what the one weakness is, and it's their offensive line.
1: So yeah, it certainly didn't get any better this offseason, that's for sure, uh, at least as at this point. But let's go into a little bit of basketball, then uh, 20 minutes on football, which is pretty good for the offseason. Uh, let's get into a little basketball talk. First of all, thoughts on the All Star game. I kind of enjoyed the one-day experience of it all? Because All-Star weekends kind of – sometimes it drags a little bit. I I, I, don't, I don't mind uh, – I didn't mind having slam dunk contest at halftime um, and the skills competition, three-point contest all one day. Kind of made it more watchable, I thought. Uh,
0: Jordan, thoughts on making it a one-day event uh, in the future? Honestly, I, I don't really mind it at all either because like it's just a bit more efficient. Like you don't have to kind of spread things out and keep things waiting like the whole thing about it goes into this world is like a lot of people like me are very instant gratification type of people so if you give the people what they want and you give it to them in one day and then just say you know what for the players sake to give them less risk of injury and to have more time off into the all-star break I I don't see why that wouldn't that would be an issue so
2: yeah Jonathan
1: how about you yeah how was your viewing experience of the one-day all-star game
2: Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I like the structure. You're not starting things at nine o'clock at night. um, So that's always a plus, but I did like the one day, the one day movement of everything because, you know, the, all for me, I prefer the skills competition, dunk contest, three points, you got more than the actual game, because I hate the, the lack of defense being played in the actual game, but with everything before the dunk contest at halftime, you were there to, you were there for the, the entire night to watch the game, to care about the game. And obviously as a Sixers fan, I was, less disin- I was less interested this year because obviously and and Simmons weren't able to play. Um, but I like that. But for me, the, the main sticking point, and I don't know if it's on the rundown specifically, it's not. Um, the dunk contest is absolutely ridiculous these days. Um, the fact that you're not able to get at least, not even just marketable players or superstars, but NBA role players. Like Anthony Simons is a nice NBA player, but he's three or four down the bench of the Portland Trail Blazers. Um, I will be topping to big name place for New York. I get it. But the dunk contest, what it once was, that was Vince Carter doing some crazy stuff. Dominique Wilkins in there. Yeah. What the last big player to do the dunk contest and even when it was Dwight Howard with the magic. Is that, am I thinking that correctly? Um, so my thought is I like the one day experience, but for me, more importantly, I'm fine with it to have it two days. I'm fine to have it two weeks as long as we fix what's going on with the dunk contest.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Where is LeBron James? Where is Ben Simmons? I know there's COVID this year. But, you know, think about yeah. guys who dunk the basketball. That's what we want to see. And uh, you know, I, I think there's to a point of, I don't know how many ways you can really dunk a basketball anymore. We've seen a lot of it. You know, in terms of the All Star game. creativity this year. Yeah, we saw. I, yeah, I thought. I thought the contest itself, it was disappointing. The players, but I think. I mean, they they, they tried their hardest. I mean, it was somewhat entertaining, but you know, it was still. I enjoyed the three-point contest more this year than the dunk Absolutely.
2: contest. Which, which Absolutely.
1: Is, which is just an indictment of how basketball is these days, in all honesty. Um, but to, from that to some real basketball and some hard-hitting news that got me and Jonathan a little worried on um, on Friday night. Uh, Joel Embiid, he's going to be out for the Philadelphia 76ers two to three weeks with a hyperextended left knee. Uh, this could have been a lot worse. It certainly looked it at the beginning. He landed awkwardly on that knee. It buckled and... Had to be, he, he walked off, but he was down for a while there. The thing is, we've seen Embiid do this before. He's a very fragile kind of guy. He's been told, you know, fall and spread out, you know, the impact. And, and you know, because he's a fragile kind of guy. He, he's been trained on how to fall before. But this was, this was a little more, this is a little serious. And this is a little concerning because we talked about Embiid in 2019 when the Sixers last looked like serious contenders. And, He had had a couple injuries. He had lower body injuries. He also had some on and off like sicknesses that kept him out of the lineup. And the year before that, it was phantom of the process with his face mask. And every time down the stretch, something happens to this guy. It throws the Sixers off a little bit. So my first question for you, Jonathan, is how devastating a loss is this for Philadelphia? Now you're not talking about a one seed potentially, which means an easier bracket. If they lose out of the one seed, they'd have to face a team like Milwaukee, Miami, brooklyn earlier in the playoffs which could present some problems
2: yeah it it's it is it is a devastating loss um you know and this this might influence what the sixers are going to do we're going to talk a little bit about the deadline it might influence a little bit what they're thinking is um but yeah i was watching i was watching the game live saw that happen saw the hyper extension and i was i was texting you at the time tom and i was very nervous at at what was happening there but it is huge and you know it's not it's more so you look at the second unit and yeah, you're replacing an MVP candidate, in Joel Embiid. Look, I like Tony Bradley's potential, but Tony Bradley and Dwight Howard at this point in his career, you know, and then Mike Scott coming at the four, it's not inspiring. And what what mainly it is, because for me, the regular season and seeding isn't a huge deal to me in the NBA. What it comes down to is Joel Embiid's going to be out. Let's say three weeks. Then it's going to take him another one and a half, two weeks to work his way back into game shape, get familiar, get off the minutes restrictions. Stop, just actually play back to back, figure out what's going on with him. And that's another month and a half where your team isn't in a groove. You're not in the right system. Everyone's not used to their role in the rotation. So it kind of just takes everything and flips it around. So it's devastating in terms of them not being able to find that rhythm because Tobias Harris has taken strides this year. We know that he's going to have some sort, of a, some sort of a mental lapse in terms of He's going to be a primary bucket getter for the next two or three weeks. Then, when a be comes back in the fold, how does he dial down his role? But also staying aggressive. You look at guys like Shake Milton, who might not be as valuable to the Sixers in the next few weeks, because let's be honest, Shake Milton can't play defense. He's a great scorer. Yeah. But but you don't want to
1: overexpose defense. those guys.
2: Exactly. And that's, yeah, you have the Shake Milton's, you have the Danny Green's, you have the Seth Curry's. And even Corkmans, too, good players who give you a lift off the bench, but what can they do in extended minutes in terms of defense? Are we gonna see Matisse thibault in the starting lineup more? Even someone who is who's on minus offensively. I'm not too high on Matisse thibault I mean he's a great defender, not too high offensively. But when it when when I look, think about the Sixers the next few weeks, um they just gotta find some positives to keep it rolling. They're gonna play smaller. Ben Simmons will probably play more point forward-esque um to get to get some bigger bodies down low. So it, it'll be interesting to see how they balance it definitely definitely a big loss though and Jordan
1: how does this impact Embiid's MVP hopes because he was our pick for MVP I think rightfully so Um, I think it just about crushes them at this point because Jokic he will not be stopping you know he's still doing what he's doing good season not as good as Embiid but now he'll still be going and of course LeBron still is LeBron I think Embiid's MVP hopes might be dashed what do you think about that
0: uh, yeah, completely agree. Um, I think people are easily going to say the missed time is a reason why he's not going to win. I believe Nikola Jokic is now the frontrunner. He's had an unbelievable season and has really kept the Nuggets afloat in the Western Conference. And I think there's also another guy we need to consider, Damian Lillard, who continues to keep the Blazers afloat every single yeah. year and make big shots. And then you have LeBron himself, who people will always vote for because of his name value. Even if he's not having uh, lights out, superstar season compared to some others, but he's still having a very good season. So He is.
1: Lillard's interesting, I think. His shooting numbers are down a bit this year. Um, his points per game is high because he's, he's a volume shooter. He's having a good year, like a, a typical good Damien Lillard year. I think Jokic at this point now becomes the new favorite. I hate to say it because my whole argument was why embiid is better than Jokic this season. But now if Embiid's out, that does probably mean Jokic is number two. Uh Jonathan, just to get your take real quick, who are you leaning now MVP if Embiid can't win it?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it is going to be Jokic. I'm I'm not as, you know, down the dumps about his chances as you are. Let's say he misses, you know, I think in this in this NBA season, if you miss 10 to 12 games, that's probably what about two and a half, three weeks would be. I don't think it's the end of the world if he comes back and produces the way he was going to, but I think Jokic is second in line. It is incredible, though. LeBron James, who we argue, we agree is the best basketball player of this generation, hasn't won the the most valuable player's trophy in eight years, which is something very interesting to think about. He should have won it last year. Should have won it. I agree. He should have won it last year. Um, But I think right now it's got to be Jokic. I love the throwback to the big man game. Um, But I think if Embiid comes back and he plays lights out, he answers the discussion again.
1: Yeah, we'll have to see just how quickly he comes back, I think is the big thing. Because the other thing Embiid has to deal with is a narrative that always gets thrown about that he's fragile and then he misses time that he's out of shape. And he, he had conquered all of those critiques earlier this year. Now the injury bug comes back. And I think that narrative is going to hurt him in the voting. If
2: you are an MVP candidate for a Philadelphia team, watch your knees towards the back end of the season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You would know a thing or two about that. Um, But yeah, that, that one worked out well for you. Um, So, you know, uh, I digress with the Carson Wentz uh, overrated contract, but you know, great season before that. Um, Now just basketball terms, how do the 76ers try and maximize uh, from, from basketball terms, this loss, do you want to see more Simmons at the five, uh, Jonathan, or or is there an external fit that you think they should be going after?
2: Um, I th- uh, you mean in terms of just down low or in general?
1: Replacing MB? It is, is this change their deadline strategy in any way, yeah. you think?
2: Yeah, I, I, think it, I think it might a little bit. I think, for example, someone like LaMarcus Aldridge might get more of a look than he was yep. a few weeks ago. Um, I think that's someone, regardless of the Embiid situation, I would have no problem bringing in for a lot of reasons, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think Simmons will probably will play a little more at the four. I think Tobias, um, like not like not uh, far off from Point point Jimmy. I think Tobias will get the ball in his hands a little more. Maybe we'll see a little bit of a run in for Tyrese Ma- for, uh, for Maxie, who hasn't played a lot of minutes in the last few weeks. Maybe he'll get on the court because his ability to handle the ball. I would like them to go after someone. maybe not Kyle Lowry. That's going to be expensive. A player like George Hill, someone who's good with the ball in his hands can lead that second unit averages about 11 points a game. Um, But yeah, in terms of what they have right now, I'm sure Sims will get low, uh, will get uh, more time down low. I think Tony Bradley will get a real chance to show what he can do in the next few weeks here and there. Um, Dwight Howard, obviously his his experience is going to be important, but I think ball and Tobias' hands more, maybe Max, he gets more of a run out. Um, But it'll be a lot of Doc Rivers throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks.
1: You know, Tony Bradley doesn't interest me, um, but I do think this is a great opportunity for the Sixers to go and do something that I've been advocating for at the trade deadline anyhow, and that's to get another stretch big. They don't really have many. Mike Scott is more of a wing, to be honest, than a big, and he's the only one that you could consider that off the bench, a stretch big, if you even want to call him that. I'm not sure you can. Um, You know, in a playoff series, Howard matches up well against some teams not as well against others, and having some mix and match there. A guy like Bielitza, a guy like maybe you could package Hill and a Mike Muscala reunion tour. Um, I like I don't, Mike,
2: I don't want Mike Muscala near this team <laughs> right now.
1: He's been better than uh, than he was in Philly. Um, Aldridge, if it's the buyout market, I'm I'm absolutely interested. I'm glad you mentioned him. Um, but then Jordan, uh, I guess the question now comes to you because you're not a 76ers fan, so I'd like you're to no, put no. on this. <laughs> What do the Sixers have to do now at the deadline to keep pace in the East? Does this dramatically change what they should do? Should they go big or should they go uh, auxiliary
0: pieces to try and keep their hopes alive? Well, I do think that this is one of your best rosters that you have to be equipped for something like this, but I also think it wouldn't hurt to try to go get someone who's like a a four or a five or someone of that size who can not, not no one has the, some of the skill set that Joel Embiid does, but what I'm saying is like some of the actual, like just big man um, characteristics that a typical big man would have. So if there's someone out there that's worth giving up assets for, then go after him. But if not, I do think this roster is good enough to keep pace. All right, Jordan, I'm going to loop back to you here. It's
1: halfway through the season. So let's talk biggest surprise and biggest disappointment. It could be a team, it could be a player, it could be a trend, anything you want. Uh, give me a biggest positive
0: surprise and a biggest disappointment this year at the halfway point of the season. Oof. Okay. Um, I have to still think about my disappointment, but my biggest surprise is clearly the Charlotte Hornets. I am really shocked about how well they have performed, especially LaMelo Ball, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but everyone around them really stepping up into their roles. And LaMelo Ball, I think, exceeded all expectations um, in year one. And now I can imagine what he's going to be in a year three. So now we're going to go to biggest disappointment. And I think right off the bat, I'm going to say Boston Celtics. I believe – that they have just failed expectations this year. They have three incredible players. you got Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, but for some reason this team still hasn't found it. And that part of that to me is due to the lack of size that they have inside the paint besides Daniel Slice. But the other part is just because none of them can stay healthy at the same time. And as long as that's the case, there are other teams who are going to be able to exploit that because without one of those three, you could easily beat them within inside the paint. Jonathan, same question, surprise, disappointment.
2: I'm not, I'm not really sure who the su- biggest surprise and disappointment is Um, this actually, you know what? I'll say the disappointment I'll give you on the Washington wizards. And that is when you bring in Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal and you have a hat, you have a backcourt that's as good as they are. That's probably a top five backcourt in the league on paper. They had that really nice win streak in the, in the middle of the season there a few weeks ago, but they're sitting in 12th place in the Eastern conference. They haven't had a lot going for them. They lost Thomas Bryant for the year, which was a big loss, but they're just not finding ways to get it done offensively, especially when you have Bradley Beal. you're wasting a generational season from Bradley Beal, by the way, he should be, he leads league in scoring, I believe 32 and a half points a game. He should be more in the MVP discussion. I don't think he should win it. He should be there, but that is a surprise and a disappointment for me, but also the Utah jazz for me, you know, I didn't expect them to be so good. I think them and the Phoenix suns being one and two in the Western conference. That is, that is quite impre- impressive for me, especially with the Utah jazz, Mitchell Gobert having some nice pieces to put it all together. And then with the Suns, they really carried over from the bubble. It wasn't just the bubble Suns. They've shown that they could put it together. Chris Paul, maybe he should get some MVP buzz, too. He's been very good. So those those that combination of those three teams probably. I don't know why I preface this, this question by saying I didn't really have an answer and then listed three teams. But, you know, I got the Wizards. I got the the Suns and the Jazz as three teams that have surprised me.
1: Yeah, I'd have the Suns this is my biggest surprise. First of all, Paul can't be the MVP um, at 15 points a game uh that's sorry he's, he's he's been a big reason for their jump but he can't be the MVP if, if Jokic is having the years he's having and LeBron James is having the year he's having but Paul is a huge reason why the Suns are the biggest uh surprise for me um I, I don't know we talked I talked to Jordan in the offseason about this I thought they'd be improved I certainly didn't think I don't even know if I had him in the playoffs I think I had him as probably seven or eight if that I didn't think they'd be actively this much better but they really have been especially to Their defense, we talked about a couple weeks ago, you and me, Jordan, their defensive numbers are very high. Uh, That's a credit to Aiton being a good, uh, improved paint defender. And also, because, you know, Paul and Booker are not known for their defense. They're bench guys, though. They stepped up. Uh, Bridges, excellent defensive player. Um, A couple other guys off the bench they have. Uh, So they get some credit for that. The disappointment, I'm going with the Dallas Mavericks because – they have not taken a step forward. If anything, they've taken a step back. A recent surge has them over five hundred and in a playoff spot. They're the eighth seed right now. It's a mirage. They play some of the worst defense in the NBA. Uh, I have to I'll see if I can get the numbers. A couple. Well, that's weeks ago, why. There. That's
2: why they got Josh Richardson too. To yeah, try and, and what did
1: Josh Richardson do for them this season? He's been pretty disappointing. The guy has shot. I believe it's yeah, here we go. Forty-four uh, percent from the floor. That's kind of what you expect from Josh Richardson is about average it doesn't live up to his reputation and he's shooting 32% from 3 on 5 attempts a game that's that's not worth trading Seth Curry for um they, they especially when they don't have as, as good 3 point shooting as their reputation is uh Doncic can be hot and cold from 3 specifically and Porzingis the guy just never on the floor um he's he's a non factor for me at this point they do, they can't defend anybody and their, their defense has not really not been that improved. Uh, I think the Mavericks for me, a, uh, a humongous disappointment in terms of their defensive numbers. I have the numbers here. Now they are bottom 10 in the league in their bottom 10 in the league in three point percentage. Uh, they're actually average in terms of points. They're 15th, which is interesting. Also bottom 10 in rebounding. Who does that reflect on Jordan? <laughs> Who's our favorite non-rebounding seven foot three big man?
0: <laughs> well, like I said, I'd rather have Luis Courtright than Chris Daz this on my team. So um, that's how, how, how that's gonna work. So
1: yeah, Mavericks. I, I this looked like this is gonna be a budding young core instead, it's becoming Luka Doncic and a bunch of guys who haven't improved. Uh and, and Rick Carlisle, uh just just kind of coasting along. He's a great coach historically for them, but I, I'm not impressed with their season this year. Uh, but let's talk a little hockey. And there's the biggest news probably was off the ice this week. It was media related ESPN getting back in the hockey game. I think this is big uh, for the league, especially because ESPN promotes its brands very well. They were not too big on MMA years ago. Now they promote it extensively in your face and they talk about it on all the shows when something big is going on. I think uh, they're going to do great things for hockey uh, in terms of notoriety, in terms of promotion of it. Um, the streaming component is interesting. Lots of games on ESPN plus that is the wave of the future and uh, ESPN they, to their credit. They've, inc- they've increased their hockey coverage over the years. World cup of hockey, uh, a couple more highlights on sports center, a show that Jonathan Banks is very familiar with uh, in the crease on ESPN plus. And uh, they've hired quite a few people over the years and they've, they've got hockey guys. Chris Berman's a hockey guy, uh, Levy Cone. They've got hockey people all over the network. Who should it? And great written networks. coverage with Washinsky and Kaplan. Excellent writing.
2: Yeah. Um, Philip Povich too, is very good.
1: Yeah, excellent writing. They, they've, they've improved their hockey over the years. They're not the anti-hockey network that some people make them out to be. Uh, NBC did a great job uh, with the outdoor games and, and the playoffs all in their network, and they could still get in on this next deal. But I think ESPN just gives an even more broader reach. Uh, I think it's pretty exciting for the game. So, Jonathan, I'll go to you first because you did hockey at ESPN at one point. Uh, how jazzed did this make uh, people at that at uh, that station feel?
2: Yeah, you know, I get the. I'm currently not there right now, but got text from producers the day before, a uh, few days before it dropped, knowing what was coming, and everyone was very excited. One thing at ESPN too is, yeah, there wasn't a huge emphasis on hockey coverage, but that doesn't mean there aren't hockey fans working there. There are a lot of people behind the scenes that love the sport in the crease, which I worked on a lot is an ESPN plus show that puts out daily hockey highlights with Barry Melrose, Linda Cohn, Nabil Kareem, a bunch of different hockey people there. And what I think is great for, for hockey in general, is that this ESPN job, it, 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 ESPN and, and any big network is going to do what makes them money. And the fact that they have the NHL here, they're going to, they're going to have it out like the NBA, the way they cover the NBA, the way they, they market college football. It's going to be the same for the NHL. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be on ESPN. It's going to be on sports center. It's going to be, you know, Wednesday night hockey, Thursday night hockey, whatever it is, there's going to be a lot of hockey going on. It's just great for the league. You know, originally when I think of, when I think of hockey on ESPN, I think about the Keith Primo goal uh, in the fifth overtime, because that was an ESPN Steve Levy call. Um, My dad is a poster of that, of that goal in our, in our basement um, at home. So I always think about that, but in terms of, I think this deal really works for both sides for the NHL as well. They get into that cut with ESPN. Um, They're going to be all over SportsCenter and ESPN. ESPN Plus is going to be a must-have for hockey fans because you're going to be able to get a bunch of different games in $4.99 a month. I'm not trying to be a salesperson, but it is a steal to get all that coverage for $4.99 a month, Um, especially the way streaming's going. And you look at a lot of other places that are more expensive than that. But that's going to to be really good for them. Um, They're going to get a majority. I believe they get half of the Stanley Cups, and they get a conference final every year as well as playoff games. So that's going to be awesome. Hope I can somehow still get involved with that, but it's great for ESPN. It's great for the too, because they get the exposure from ESPN. And then they still have the other half of that deal where they can give to NDC, they can give to someone else, and they can really stretch out their exposure and their coverage because these networks should be working together somewhat when it comes to sharing the same rights to sports. And we saw that a little bit with the XFL.
1: And Jordan, uh, we saw some fun stuff this week. Um, you saw the hockey people at the network be really excited about it sharing some memories and you also saw some of the non-hockey people like Stephen A. Smith having some (laughs) fun with this news Uh, you know what how how excited were you to uh, hear about this news how do you think it'll help the league
0: stoked I think it will easily help the league get more of a demographic more of a reach because I think hockey is one of the most fun sports out of the four major sports it's just a really niche thing if you're someone that's been grown up to really enjoy and like hockey. You had someone of a friend get you into it, then you're into it. But if you don't know hockey, you really don't know anything about hockey. So with ESPN, this is what I want to see different. I want to see like an NHL live sort of show go on. I want to see something like a Stephen A and a Max talk about hockey on first take, even though Stephen A's list about the puck being black was absolutely hilarious. I want to see a little more than that. So I'm really excited for ESPN and seeing the creative things that I think they can do already just to see the even more creative things they can do with the sport. They haven't even touched in a while. So for sure. Yeah. Jonathan, more, I was—I was,
2: was going to say there's going to be an added emphasis. I'm sure part of the deal is hey, you're going to push this content through because they want people to watch the NHL if they're going to spend 2.8 billion dollars to get it onto their network. So they're going to have a lot of hockey experts probably on first take. They're going to have a lot more hockey analysis on SportsCenter and you know ESPN. It, it has they have college football rights, they have NBA rights, they have college basketball, they have they have the NHL, they have again and we we went through this a few weeks ago another big cut of the NFL and they're getting the super bowl in their rotation too so it's it's going to be a lot of a balancing act but what i like too the most is that you know people have talked a lot about espn in general or just big sports media companies just being about clickbait coverage and you know wh- you know what 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 are people going to click on that's what we're going to post but now when espn has a lot of rights to a lot of different sports now they're getting back to, you know, giving out what they think the sports fan should see, a little bit of everything. So I think that'll be a good route of it. You'll see the NHL on first take, I'm sure. You'll see it all over, and you'll have a bunch of pre-post game shows in the crease. Might be ESPN Plus and simulcast on live television too. So they're going to do a lot of fun things with that. So I think I think it's good for everyone, and I think that the hockey community as a whole would agree with that take.
1: Don't forget, they also have the college hockey uh, playoffs for men's now and women's, uh, which is also yep, a big be time. At- big time get for them. And uh, to Jordan's point, hockey is so very regional um, and having it on a national cable channel, not just game day. Talk about Talk about maybe uh, like you said, on a daily show uh, and get some notoriety. I think that'll help maybe make it a little bit more national. It's just so heavily regional right now um, that that could help. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the Tom Wilson incident. Shall we call it? There was a head hit on Brandon Carlisle with the Bruins. It led to Wilson's fifth suspension of his career. He's now been fined over $1.2 million in his career and suspended five times. Um, Quite frankly, I'm done with this guy. I'm done with this goon. Uh, He doesn't provide much value if he wasn't playing with Backstrom and Ovechkin. And all he is is a headshot artist. Uh, This is five suspensions, $1.2 million in fines. You know, the NHL, they did the right thing. As far as I'm concerned, it wasn't Wilson's worst hit, which is – some people said, oh, it wasn't his worst hit (laughs) – that's a bad bar to be set. It was still a headshot. You're not allowed to hit anybody in the head. And when you're a repeat offender, you get a worse suspension than what you would have if you weren't a repeat offender. So I had no problem with giving Wilson seven games. And, um, you know, I think it's actually, I, I don't know. I'm tired of dealing with it. I'm tired of having to talk about his suspensions, five of them. Now, uh, there was just some thoughts though, that it wasn't actually that bad of a hit maybe it was over suspended because he was Tom Wilson. So I wanted to, uh, your guys' takes on that? You saw the hit. Did you feel the suspension was fair?
2: Um, you know, considering Tom Wilson's on my fantasy hockey team, I thought he shouldn't have been suspended at all. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, Tom. Um, I think it's a, it's a weird precedent, to, you know, kick someone out of a league for multiple infractions. But we're trending a little bit in that direction, maybe. Um, I mean, I probably wouldn't go that far, actually. But it was a dirty hit. Seven games in the sprint of a season. You know, that adds more than just seven games in 82-game season. Right. It's roughly probably about 12 or 13, I'd probably say, in a, a regular-scale season. It's a big suspension. It was an unnecessary hit. He was rightly, you know, what well, the discipline was correct, so I think the NHL hit the mark there, but – I don't know where else you can go with Tom Wilson because he does provide value because he plays the backs from an Ovechkin. He knows his role and he feels it perfectly when he's not, you know, when he's not running people up, he's great. He's great. He can, he's, he's a more skilled player than we give him credit for because of, he does things like this. So he does it to himself, but he's a decently skilled player and I think he does have value in the league. I just don't know how they handle something like this. Maybe Jordan can help it out, help us out here too, because when it comes down to it, you have a player that commits so many infractions, you spend him, Plays well for a few months and does something else again. You don't know where the line can officially be drawn, um, but it is a precarious situation. This reminds me of players like Sean Avery and Riley Cote. Um, but yeah, Tom you know Wilson, plus, those guys aren't—they're
1: not skilled players. This isn't like Marshand or Chris Pronger, who was suspended eight times. You know, they—they they were suspended. Marshand's been suspended before. Wilson—I don't know. I think I think he's just coasting on Ovechkin and Backstrom. I think you put him anywhere else, at that point, he's just a goon. And, uh, you know, that I don't know. I, I don't see him in the same class as, too. I don't see him in the same class as, oh, you know, Marshan, Pronger, you know, they're, they're great players that get suspended because they're, they are ride the edge. Too. Wilson's an actively dirty player.
2: Yeah. He was also, which is crazy too. He's also a first round pick, um, which kind of shows. And he's a, he could score 20 goals too. He could score probably 15 goals on a bad line as well. He's a skilled NHL player, Jordan. What, what do you think
0: about that? Uh, you know, you guys kind of said it all. I mean, to me, I, I was one of the few that actually, for some reason, didn't did not get the chance to see the hit. But there, from what I've heard, it seems like Tom Wilson was suspended more on of things he's done in the past, and because of his premature reputation, the NHL is like, all right, we're we're kind of done with this. But Tom's right in the sense that I think he is coasting on the sense of Backstrom and Ovechkin, and I think that he's just a name value on that team because of the things that he does. From the physical standpoint, but we all know that Backstrom does the assists and Yveskin does the goals. And I just think that um, at some point, in the, if you're in the NHL, when do you say enough is enough with Tom Wilson? Because he's suspended. We still going to come back and probably do the same thing. So you got to have some type of like punishment or something to think of where it's like, all right, like like give him something real seriously substantial because for Tom Wilson. This is probably a slap on the wrist. Like, he's like, look, I've been suspended like six times already or whatever. So just give me another suspension. I'm not really going to care or learn anything. So it's yeah. kind of like that mentality.
1: He's the modern-day McSorley with Gretzky and the modern-day McCarty uh, on that Red Wings team. And that's not, you know, not a great place to be. You know, yeah, he, he gets suspended more old. than they did.
2: He gets, he gets like paid, a, he gets paid level level a lot of guy. money to, to carry out said role. He's probably more than okay with it. He won, he's won a cup in the process. Tom Wilson's
0: a a a higher Patrick Hornquist to me. Well, Jonathan,
1: let's dive in now to our team because it is actually one of the bigger stories in the league, and it just so happens to be we have you on right now. Uh, It's great timing. Uh, I'll preface this first, too. I'm very worried about the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, they're not Stanley Cup contenders this season. And the more alarming trend for me, I posted this last night on Twitter, that the Flyers appear to me they've taken a step back into that 2013-2018 to kind of team that we saw there where they're in the playoffs one year they're out the next and it's the way they're going about it that's scary for me no defense goalie carousel falling behind early in games just interested enough to keep you around ultimately disappointing you and what is that that is mediocrity it's out in the first round missing the playoffs it's not getting a high pick and it's not winning a stanley cup and making a cup a a conference final i worry that this team with Giroux and voracek still producing in their early 30s but the kids taking a step back by the time those kids grow as they should grow from this uh, adversity. By that point, now the vets might be too old. I wonder if this team might've missed its ideal season to strike, which I feel is this season and last season windows are shorter than we give them credit for uh, all the time. And I think the window right now for the flyers, it was this year and it was last year. And I think you're going to look at it as a missed opportunity because while I have confidence Carter Hart will rebound because he's terrific. He's the best goalie prospect in the nation. At one point, he will rebound, but will it be too late? And that, that, that's my main concern right now. The flyers to me look like they've devolved into that mess of team that we knew in the mid 2010s. I'm very concerned.
2: Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I can't debate that because I agree with you hundred percent. And just let's take last night's game into context. That's a microcosm of the issue. Um, And You know, you're playing the Capitals. The Capitals are a good hockey team. We're not, it's not to knock the Washington Capitals, but you give up two extremely soft goals early. Brian Elliott comes out, Carter Hart comes in after he gives up the third goal. And then, you know, they lull you to sleep, they're hanging around and then the game gets put to bed. Then all of a sudden they're like, wait, four minutes left. Let's score two goals to make it a one goal game. Then let's just miss a chance with under a minute left. But it comes down to it. You're exactly right. I am worried about them. I'm not worried particularly about Carter Hart specifically, um, because like you said, he's, he, was the best, he was the best goaltending prospect in the nation. hes It's natural for a young goaltender to work through this. Carey Price had seasons like this. Every good young goaltender has seasons of adversity. It's just the problem is you can't ride Brian Elliott for too long, which is one problem that you have. And then it doesn't help that their defense is absolutely putrid. It's absolutely putrid. And you look at a player like Ekholm that they've been talking about bringing in that's going to cost gotcha stretch, probably going to cost a few firsts, maybe, maybe a young forward. But they need to do something about that because you didn't. I didn't realize how important that Niskanen was for the Philadelphia Flyers until he was gone. And that that's something that they have to, to figure out. I'm worried about them for this year. I thousand percent agree about their window. The fact that they were the number one seed last year, obviously number one seed, you want to put that in air, air quotes. But they were a very good team last year, ready to strike. Um, they they went out in Game Seven to the Islanders. I was still I'm still disappointed how they performed in that game, but right. When it comes down to this year. They have this year. I think I could give them a little credit next year, too. But they're really putting themselves behind the eight ball here. And especially with such a hard division to play in. And right now, they're lounging in that fourth and fifth spot. It's not looking promising for a team that we thought was going to easily make the playoffs and contend for the division title.
1: I got a point. I'll lead it into Jordan, too. I think timing is key here for the Flyers. And why I keep saying it's the window, I'm concerned about it. This was supposed to be the years when Pittsburgh and Washington took a bit of a step back. Boston as well. They've overperformed, though, to their credit. Um, by next year, you're looking at the Rangers and the Devils improving. By two, three years, you're looking at them maybe being a consistent playoff team. Everything I'm not worried about the plan. Devils.
2: Sorry, Jordan. They'll have improved.
1: And also, you go back to normal divisions. That means Carolina, who all of a sudden is – they're right there with the Lightning in the Central. Yes underrated story of the year. The Hurricanes are consistent and they're in the division, the normal division for the Flyers. Boston's out, yeah, but Carolina comes in and they're they're almost as good this year, which is really saying something. The the, the way the, this is the window for the Flyers. This was their chance to strike. They haven't taken it. I'm very concerned. They're just going to be a very good team and I think we might have we might have overrated them last year uh cuz everybody might have been playing over their heads more so than that being their true talent level. Some of these young kids haven't taken the step forward. So Jordan, I want your perspective as a non-philly fan. Um, how you evaluate the flyers? Are they did we overrate them last year? Are they worse right now than they really are? Like what what how do you evaluate them in terms of their championship window? I, I think it's closed. I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I think it's closed.
0: Dude, uh, it's this is such a tough situation because the heights that you were at last year to how hot you were going into the bubble and the height and the fall that you are at right now it's just so, it's so mind blowing to me because I didn't think this would happen to this team. I thought they were really loaded and really prepared. And maybe part of that is due to the coaching of Elaine Bignot because when he was with the Rangers, he got them to those heights, but then the fall was so massive that he eventually ended up getting fired. So I don't know what you want to do with him, but I think in the sense, it's just like the defense, like you said, is a huge hole and, and carter hart was the golden goose he was that guy and he's just not performing to that level right now so you got to kind of switch between him and brian elliott and it's like what do you get from them each and every night and then on top of that you got guys like Giroux and katoria and other guys the older guys that they're all before. performing that's the thing yeah they're all performing the kids are not no well, you have a few kids sure. that are
1: yeah, oh. okay, Joel, Joel Farabee can score yeah. uh, Can score, score a goal a game, but you're getting stuff from Van Riemsdyk, Giroux, Voracek, Couturier, uh, you know, uh, gosh, despair, having some life. Yes, and five yet, goals
2: in his last ten games, five goals. And then I know what you're talking about, too, because Nolan Patrick scored yesterday. That was his first point in 17 games. And, and Lindblom
1: I, has not scored since the right. second
2: game of the season. And Lindblom is impossible to put a metric on right now, everything he went through then with. Of course. Games.
1: But and Sandheim and Myers have been taking Cubell hasn't
2: been good this year as, as he was playing last year specifically in the in the bubble, if you will. Um, so that that's a worry too. And then and then where, where's Myers been? Myers has not been good. Sandheim has been decent, I think, but it comes down to you know, that back end is what's gonna cost them. it's gonna cost them a lot because, like you said, their veterans are performing, e- even overperforming. I thought Van Reem's like, was done. I thought that was gonna uh-huh. be a horrible contact for the next few years when he's getting healthy scraps in the playoffs. But they, they, they found a way to stay relevant, um, but they're teetering upon that, you know, back to what they once were, um, I believe. And then Elaine Vigneault, he seems to have a jolt with his team. He does it every time he comes to a new team. And then it becomes yes. a little bit more of the same. And I'm a little worried about that because I was very happy with their performance last year. I thought they were going to take a jump this year. It's not looking like that. But then again, in hockey, it's all about finding your stride. You know, they could play bad for the next 10 games. Figure it out for the next 15. Like the Islanders aren't the best team in hockey. They won eight straight, but they've beaten up on the Devils and the Sabres. It's all a game of runs.
1: Well, let's talk a little, a little fun here, a little fantasy hockey, because we're all kind of clumped up here in the middle, but I think there's some separation happening. My team is ranked third. Uh, it's going to be second after this week, and f- feasibly first, depending on how uh, Stephen's matchup goes. Yeah, he's got that one. So I'll be second after this week. Jonathan's in that 3-4 spot. Jordan's hanging around 6-7. So I want to kind of go through the team real quickly. Give me an elevator pitch on why your team uh, is the best, because Gosh. I know my team is the best, quite frankly. The numbers don't lie. Uh, but I'll give you two the opportunity to explain why your team, why your fancy teams are better than mine. Okay, Jordan, Why don't you go first?
0: I guess I will. Um, right now as I look at my team called Shabbat Shalom. Shout out to the Jews out there. My team's sure. right now. Okay, that, like we have so many people injured, an uh, in and out consistent rotation. Um, uh, honestly, the best saving grace of my team has been the goaltending of Sedin Varlamov and Calvin Peterson and Kemper when he's been healthy, but. I dumbly dropped uh, a top goalie Igor Shesterkin when I thought he was going to be out for the season, but it was a mild groin strain. So, But what I can tell you is that just like me, just like my story in a 3-plus-1, this team is an underdog story. I'm hearing excuses this team, here. This team will rise up from the ground and surprise you and give you a close matchup every single time. Now, here's the problem. I obviously am telling you all this and know that my team – pales in comparison to the rest of your teams in this league but i believe that if you face me just know that you're not getting an easy matchup i'm not lying down for you like a senator's team okay i'm rising up and giving you a fight for your life and if you come out surviving then credit to you so all right
1: jonathan your team is a little closer to mine than than jordan's is i'll give you a chance to explain why you think yours is better because it's not
2: well, my team is better and we and it's because they can get it done in a lot of unconventional ways because we play in a rotisserie scoring. So it's not just goals and assists that counts. My team does have more goals than Tom, but we also lead the league in penalty minutes, in hits, in shots on goal. We're, we're not someone that just fills up the stat sheets with goals and assists. We're a team that can beat you in a multitude of different ways. I trust my ability. I have the most waiver moves, which every fantasy league I'm in, I always have the most waiver moves, but I have the ability to read the situation, know who's getting in and who's going to play well, and then rotating that way. But my team, we can beat you physically. We can get pucks to the net. That's our name, pucks in deep. And we can do a lot by getting a lot of penalty minutes, and that's probably thanks to Tom Wilson, to be totally honest with you. But um, good team there. Yeah, I'm three games back on Tom. I believe it was close when we played our matchup. I think I beat Jordan by by a little bit and beat you by – and you beat me by a little bit. Don't recall exactly, but – I think that I think us will be in the six, the three of us will be in that six person playoff. Um, but it's going to get down to the wire. I think um, I'm going to split here with with team flatly, which actually helps you a little bit, Tom. Um, yes. Yeah. We're, 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 we're in a barn burner right now. But I think my team is better than yours because I've shown that I can do it in the stats that don't necessarily pop off to the page. I can get hits, I can get block shots. That's the funny most shots on goal in the most penalty minutes.
1: That's funny because I have the most blocks, which is one of those stats that you say you're so good at. And I have the most, you that. have
2: seven more blocks than me.
1: I have the most. That's what matters. I have, I, I, have, have, the about most.
2: I have about 200 more hits than you.
1: Well, but the other thing I have, I'm the only goal, the only team in the league that has more than 30 wins and goaltending. You know, I always say in real life and in fantasy, most important and most critical. Uh, position. I, have worst,
2: I have the worst goaltending in the league. I have the I, most
1: wins. I, I have the most shutouts. I'm top five in well, and is
2: not that important in fantasy hockey. I would it, d- is, I would those,
1: d- it is. Cause, I, like a, cause it, I have a, I have a stranglehold on it compared to you two. Um,
2: well, to, to me, it's like a quarterback. It's kind of like, you can play the matchups on it.
1: I am top five in every category and top except shots on goal. Funny, funny enough. And I'm top one in several. And my record doesn't lie. I have found a way to have closer games with the other top teams in the division than you have. And uh number two, second place is looking pretty good, and it'll be first place before long. Besides, I can't complain when I have a guy like Dreisidel on my team, who has been an absolute uh tear this season. Uh great good depth pieces. Joe Thornton has been a fun little ad. He's he's provided some value. Um, I like my team. Uh Evander Kane's like tax collector. Funny yeah, little pretty. joke on opening night. But uh Evander Kane's been a good player actually this season as well. 22, yeah. 23 points, 25 games, 11 goals. Uh, you all laugh when you pick this guy, and he provides that physical edge. A better version of Tom Wilson, may I suggest?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I, really, yeah, you know, I'll give you that. Um, but regardless, right. um, right. I, think, I think it's good. And for me, too, I'm just waiting because Ovechkin is starting to take off. Elias Pettersson, another top pick of mine, went on the IR. I snagged Kirby Dock. Uh, from free agency, he's going to come back. Hopefully gives my team a boost. T. Teravainen was another high pick of mine that hasn't done much. So I've been doing a lot with scraps, but I, yeah. I you know, I had to start yeah. Adrian Kempe. Um, well, I've got big days.
1: names. Lots. Yeah, of well,
2: I'm still getting, I'm getting near comparable results. And during the stretch run, I'm going to find a way to do it um, and right. get the job done. So I'm looking forward to it. I mean, and we'll see.
0: I am out there. So that's all. <laughs> and is hanging around though. Yeah. little, <laughs> um, Let's close our show with a little March
1: Madness. Uh, We usually like to do a little pick 'em segment to end our show, and um, a little not quite pick 'em here, but just a couple of superlatives, if you will. Um, We'll go a little quickly here. Team to watch, Jordan, you go first. A team you're really backing here in this tournament, you
0: think can go all the way? Ooh, a team that I am really backing here that is on right now are the Illinois Fighting Illini. The last time they have been in the NCAA tournament is 2013. This year. They are incredible. They are ranked 3rd in the nation. They are 22 and 6. 6 game win streak beating two top 5 teams such as Iowa who has Luka Garza one of the best players. The country, Michigan, a player they had a player Isaiah Livers who just got hurt, but another really good team. They have the second best scoring offense in the Big Ten. They lead the Big Ten shooting percentage with shooting 50 percent. They are rebounding studs, they lead the Big Ten in offensive rebounding 40.4 per game, defensive rebounding 30 per game. And they also, like I just said before, last time they were in the tournament 2013. This is a team that is dangerous, has two. Really good players like Kofi Cockburn, and I cannot pronounce the other guard's name, but that is on me. But this Illinois team is one to watch that you can easily, to me, get to the final four. Uh,
1: Jonathan, team to watch And this. That could be interpreted a lot of different ways. Yeah, how you, you interpret you see,
2: it? And I think you see it on the rundown how I, I interpreted it. Um, but I agree. I, first of all, Illinois is probably going to be one of my picks to win it. It could be my pick to win it all. I agree with everything Jordan said. My team to watch is Georgetown, and this is not just because I grew up a Georgetown Hoyas fan. My dad went to Georgetown for dental school, fun facts. So that's why I always been partial to the Hoyas. But it's very interesting. You know, you don't usually see the winner of the Big East steal a bid, and that's exactly what Georgetown did. And the, the question that you have to ask yourself when you're filling out your bracket, can you be too hot going into an, an NCAA tournament fall flat on your face? Because the Hoyas beat Marquette, beat a ranked Villanova. Yes, they are missing Colin Gillespie. Gillespie. Still a big win there. Then they beat Seton Hall, who was on the bubble, then they beat number 17 Creighton, and then just beat them. 73 to 48 destroyed them. So I'm looking to watch to see what what they're going to do because they can score in a multitude of ways, especially after losing some big-name players like Mac McClung the Texas Tech. They've shown that they can hang around, had an average season, but they've won the last four games. They're going to be scorching into the tournament. They'll probably be around 11 or a 12 seed, which makes, you know, they, they could be a very trendy upset pick, especially to potentially get to the Sweet 16, because we're going to get to this. A lot of the Blue Bloods aren't there this year. They aren't as good. So that could cause a lot of, you know, 10 through 14s to possibly make a little run here. So I'm looking at Georgetown to be one of those teams. think they might lose um, in that second round, but they're going to be a very trendy pick come a few days from now.
1: For sure, I'm going to go Iowa as my team to watch. Uh, it would have been Michigan, but I've been deterred by current and recent events with the Wolverines. So I don't like big,
0: the
2: fight.
1: <laughs> I no, other than injuries and bad losses. I'll get into them later because they're another superlative I have. Iowa, though, I like what I see from them with the fact that Garza is pretty unguardable. He's a stretch five, but he can also go down low. Gonna uh, be tough to guard him. Um, one-on-one and they have a host of three point shooters. They can go to as well above average three point shooting team. They're a modern uh, team in that way. They can have the guy who does it in the paint. They can also shoot it from three. I don't see too many mid range shots from them. They're a modern dream. Uh, So for that, I like Iowa Uh, sleeper team. I'm going to go with this one first uh, or wrap it a little quick. I'll go BYU because everyone knows how good Gonzaga has been. BYU had a lead on them in a playoff game. And, Half of BYU's losses this year have come to the Zags, who are very good. We know this. They're undefeated. But BYU, other than that, they've beaten up just about everybody. They're a team also, modern. they got three guys who are over 11 points per game. They're a pretty good rebounding team. And also, again, 37% from three um, and 48% from the floor, while holding their opponents to 40.9%. That's a good defense, too. Uh, Total scoring, 78 points per game for BYU. Opponents, 68. I like that differential. I think BYU, uh, again, I don't know too much about the rest of their conference. Maybe that has something to do with those numbers. But the fact they were able to play close with a legendary, supposedly, Gonzaga team this year, I think BYU could be a sleeper team to watch. Jordan, give me a sleeper.
0: All right, well, you kind of criticized my sleeper before Tom, but I'm still gonna stick with it. That is the Texas Longhorns, who just won their first Big Twelve title, which I can't believe that's actually a fact. But this team just has sleeper all over it. They're not exactly a team that's gonna that lights up the conference, but they're a really good, solid team. And there are two teams there that are better than them in Oklahoma State. And Baylor, who are two top five teams, and then they just beat Texas Tech by a point in what was an unbelievable game that I watched from my hotel room in Atlantic City. Unreal. But they have a guy, Matt Coleman, fourth in Big 12 in assists. Jericho Sims leads the Big 12 in field goal percentage. The guy shoots 68% or averages from the field. That's ridiculous. Fourth in the Big 12 in team points per game. Third in the Big 12 in team field goal percentage. Second in three-point percentage. And they lead the Big 12 in defensive rebounding as well as total rebounds. So this team is a team that will give teams a big game to play. They could surprise you and they can honestly beat you.
1: Tough to call the big 12 champion a sleeper. Although uh, you have some reasons for it. Uh, Jordan, uh, Jonathan, I should say, a sleeper team. Let's go.
2: Yeah. I went a similar route um, as Jordan did by picking a conference champion. I went with Georgia tech. Um, they have the ACC player of the year. The ACC player of the year playing for Georgia Tech. That is something that's a little weird to say, but it's Moses Wright um, averaging 17 and eight. Um, What I like most about Georgia Tech is that this guy's averaging 17 and eight. He was the ACC player of the year in his last seven games. He's been averaging 22. He scored just seven points the opening game of the ACC tournament against Miami, and they won 70 to 66. They had three players in double figures, so they can get it done in a multitude of ways. And even though they won the ACC, Georgia Tech wasn't on fire the regular season. They'll probably be anywhere from that six to 12 area in the bracket. So they're not going to be too high up. I think they can really make it run. When you have a dominant big, as we've seen the NBA this season, you have a dominant big, you can really cause some problems. It would be awesome to, to see them play in Alabama or in Ohio state or something like that. I think Georgia tech would match up really well against them. And I don't know about you guys, but college basketball is on the back burner for me until about the first week of March. The last four or five days I've been watching college basketball every second. It's been awesome. It's one of those things that there's just, it's just a feeling it's a year for it. You know, I knew nothing about Georgia Tech until about a week ago. I just started watching the ACC tournament as I have a lot of other teams. It really is a great time of year.
1: Guilty. That's me with college basketball, yeah. uh, but it's far, yeah. always great to get into it now. Um, now, Jonathan, I'll, I'll rebound back to you. Give me a highly seated or otherwise favorite team that you think is at risk of an early or disappointing exit.
2: I'm going to be honest. I think a lot of <laughs> one and two seeds are at risk here of, uh, of not making it far. I think this will be maybe the furthest thing from chalk we've seen in a while due to the season, due to what's happening um, in, in college basketball. But when I'm looking for a team that won't make it far, and this is no disrespect to the Houston Cougars, um, but when I look at a team that's not going far, I think about how, how they've been challenged throughout the year. Not a lot of out-of-conference play. And you look at Houston, Wichita State, Memphis, Those are the only teams that they played with double digit wins in the conference. They have SMU. They're playing Cincinnati um, later to later today when this is being recorded in the championship game. But I look at a team there and they, they are deep. They have, they have three players that, that average double digits, three more that average eight or nine points a game. But you know, when you're looking for an upset, you look at a team that hasn't been tested a lot this year and Houston 15, 0 at home five and three on the road, that's a lot of blowout wins and then they're not able to get it done away from their home court and obviously neutral venue getting tested in the NCAA tournament. I'm looking for them to probably lose in that second round game. Maybe they play a Georgia tech as a seven. That would be interesting for me. I go with Georgia tech there, but Houston, for me, I'm not really sold on what they're doing right now.
1: Jordan, this one's going to be controversial. I well, I'd love to hear it. Give it uh, to me
0: this season. They have been dominant this season. They have a player in Jalen Suggs who could be a potential really amazing player in the NBA. But I'm basing this off of the fact that in the tournament itself, Gonzaga never goes to a title game. They never have that prominent success. And for some reason to me, when I see this team, I see the same exact thing happening. Even though they've done an outstanding job all season long, I am picking Gonzaga.
1: Maybe it's that BYU thing that I mentioned. Hopefully I'll take some credit for that. I'm going to go Michigan. I mentioned that earlier they were going to be my team to win it all this year. I was so in on Michigan. I love the three-pronged approach with Wagner. Uh, they also have another guy who's big. I happen to forget his name. And they also have Isaiah Livers. Who, they can do it all. They can shoot. They can get down inside. They rebound. They play good defense. They're just dominating this year. Everything is crashing and burning at the end. Two bad losses uh, down the stretch. Then there was a weird fight on the sideline. Then Isaiah Livers gets suspended or injured, I should say. Excuse me. Bad vibes going on with Michigan right now, bad vibes. Uh, And you don't like bad vibes going into a tournament. Um, They remind me of how Michigan state has burned me years and years and years of disappointment in the first round or second round after I picked them to go to the final four. And, that's right now michigan is going full michigan state and i don't like that so michigan is giving me some pause after such a great season it's all crashing and burning at the end and uh that that worries me that worries me Uh, i want one more question before we go um excited or disappointed guys that duke kentucky not gonna make it unc is a lower seed than usual i love that we've had a top 10 that's been fluctuating this year Alabama getting in there, Ohio State getting in there, these football schools, Iowa, Illinois, um, and, of course, Gonzaga. I think it's been a lot of fun to give us something different. Um, I'm really looking forward to a topsy-turvy tournament this year. Jordan?
0: Uh, Really quickly, uh, Duke and Kentucky combined eight national championships. We want something different. We're going to get something different. I'm all about that, and I can't wait to see it.
2: Absolutely. I mean, at the root of it, you know, March Madness is all about the stories. We are sports fans that love stories, great stories. Duke and Kentucky winning again. It's not as great of a story as, you know, a team that has no business running into the Elite Eight and the Final Four getting there. We're going to see a lot of schools and teams that just want it badly more than anything, put it all in line on the floor. You love to see that. Love when mid-majors succeed. And Duke and Kentucky not in there. UNC lower than usual really opens the floor for some of those teams to make a run. I love it.
1: For sure. That's all the time we have here on Overtime. It was great having Jonathan Banks on as a guest. Uh, like I said, four years in the running, but here
2: here it is. And it is. Uh, I hope you had a good once. time.
1: I hope you had a good time. Absolutely. And uh, look forward to next week's show. Me and Jordan will be back. We'll have our full MLB season preview that we've been teasing for a few weeks. It's finally happening. Next week, we'll talk a little baseball. And of course, the latest updates from March Madness. It'll be in full swing. So, for Jonathan Banks, Jordan Wolf, this is Tom Krasnowski signing off. Overtime Radio. Stay safe, everybody.